I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. There's no need to worry, Mum. I'm okay. I got a bit wet, but I'm, I'm, I'm dry now. I'm being treated very well. This is for Ron. Go to the top of the lane and turn into the no entry. Go to the wall and flash your lights. Look for the torchlight. Run to the torchlight and you'll be given further instructions. Mum, I'm okay. Welcome back to I Could Murder a Podcast. We are back again. I am Tom Norris. That is producer Dan. And the man in front of me is a, a guy capable of injuring himself in the weirdest of ways. Oh, well. I content. don't know how it possibly could happen. Ben, before we start, how did you injure yourself? Dan, I haven't, we haven't told producer Dan this, but no. Ben sent me a picture, a gruesome picture, which I'm not going to show you because it's absolutely vile. Well, of the wound. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he started selfie and then he sent the picture of the wound. Oh, right. Um, and, but yeah, Ben... What menial task were you doing where you managed to severely cut yourself? It's great to be back. <laughs> Big episode. Ready, ready, uh, ready for this one. Excited for this one. Context. If anyone does need any DIY doing, tiling, flooring, just general cleaning up, painting. I don't, I don't know. Skimming. After what you've done, well, I would get with you to do one of those things right. to be there. Okay. Well, I've got a fairly large gash on my wrist. Um, <laughs> Thanks for And what happened was I... Um, was removing some carpet. Carpet came away because I removed it. Then I began to sweep up before laying some uh, wood flooring. As I was sweeping up, pressed down on the plastic handle of a metal broom. The plastic handle snapped. The metal arm of the broom inserted itself into my wrist. And initially, I was like, oh, I feel like I've just cut myself, but there's no blood. And then as soon as I looked at it, there was a piece of skin Dangling yeah, off just, my I've wrist. I've just sent the picture to producer Dan. Holy fuck! Doesn't it look like a bad <laughs> Halloween costume? That doesn't my look blood real. Is, my it blood is too perfect. It's very red. Very red. Yeah. I love the way that you basically said then I was stripping carpets, but you essentially did it from sweeping up. I essentially have. Yeah. You, you, almost, did it from, you were sweeping up sweeping, the floor, and yeah. you managed to cut your arm quite badly. Really badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really badly. Right. 
you want to see the picture. And then stupidly, we did something that um, my mum is furious about. So, it was you and your dad, it wasn't me. Yeah, we, my dad My dad did, kind of panicked, didn't really know what to do. You should have seen the bandage he did for me, bless him, out of an old T-shirt. There was a massive flap of skin oh, God. It's hanging. Big, it's a big old flap. It's a big it? old flap, yeah. And if, you know, we won't put it on this episode because it's... We but if it anyone anyway. wants to see it, just drop me a message and I'll send you it. Um, if you do, but you're we made the decision because it was hanging by a thread, basically, to cut the flap off with scissors. <sighs> Uh, which apparently you're not supposed to do. And then when, once we had cut it off, there were hairs on the flap from my arm. Instead of the bin at home, I, should, I, I hope people aren't too squeamish. And sorry yeah, we started. Sorry, that, guys. But yeah. I thought it was a. I do feel a bit faint now. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, For some reason, sorry. the hair made it so much worse. Yeah. But I'm back. <laughs> yeah, you're back. Yeah. You, yeah, you there broke. was a scare. I might have needed stitches or something. I couldn't be here today, but I'm here. Oh, it's just where we go. Thanks, Ben. You're such a brave soldier for sweeping the floor and cutting yourself. <laughs> So yeah, if you if you have any Ben to come around your house, do a menial task, cut himself and bleed and moan about it all day, then you can book I didn't moan until t- this today morning. when you were taking your t shirt off, go oh! <laughs> <laughs> And he bending over, oh and all you've been using the other arm. I was I'm flooring it. <laughs> Hurt. But yes, and before we start, I want to say a big thank you to Gully Garms. Yeah, as you said, they, they have um, curated us for the series. We're a bit of a 70s vibe today because the case yeah. is based in the 70s. And uh, we're keeping last week's Ivan Mila vibe in the room. Jacob's got it on. Yes, he, yeah, yeah, he, he's now got Ben's... Um, <laughs> Ben's favourite uh, item he's donated to Jacob, which is interesting. But yeah, good vibe from Jacob. Can't get it off him now. Can't, can't, can't get you. it back. No. No, you cannot. Don't forget, you can use our codes KillBen and KillTom at the Gully Garm store for 30% off. There's some absolute beauties over there. Mm. And it's a bit of a competition between me and Ben, so, you know, pick one of us to kill. Nearly there. <sighs> I mean, Ben, it's a cut, mate. We're oh, going to get the blood started coming through. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> for all the way through this case, if anyone gets cut or, or injured, it's a bit hard. Oh, it reminds me of my, yesterday when I was doing some sweeping up. <laughs> And today's case, Ben, is one that you mentioned to me a while ago. I didn't know too much about it. Um, then doing some research, it, it seems to be a you know, very well-known case. I had very different ideas about the uh, perpetrator beforehand. And then yeah. whilst kind of researching a bit more, my, my opinion of him has changed quite drastically. Okay, yeah. Uh, but Ben, what, what was it that drew you to the Black Panther? The Black Panther, Donald Nielsen. So this is a case that I was surprised hadn't been really widely covered like i struggled to find different materials on it luckily got the old uh murder weekly case book mm. on him back in 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 blighty we, we we love a british case this particular case i think it was a combination of finding my my parents collection of of uh, murder weekly magazines <laughs> okay, sure. um, Tie that up. but then also there are a few things that stuck with me from learning more about the case from many many years ago the the ransom phone call mm. absolutely haunting the mug shot of him having been apprehended all mm. beaten and bloody um also stuck with me but this is a case where it's almost a career criminal yeah in terms of his robberies his, his burglaries, burglaries his, his robberies theft. his theft yeah <laughs> eventually then turned fatal and there's so much to this case that I find fascinating. His childhood is his adult years, but also then the crimes, because they do slowly start to vary mm. with the same motive in mind. Mm. He's trying to make a quick buck, but he goes... Doesn't go about it in the nicest possible way. No, Ben. No, he certainly doesn't. It's kind of a niche case because it's not widely covered. Well, I think when people say the Black Panther, they're not thinking about Donald Nielsen. No, no, I agree. I agree. They're I mean, about the- Marvel. They are. They are. I mean, a few other, few other names this case goes by. Obviously, Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther, the Panther, the Night Intruder, the Phantom, the Fully Loaded Phantom, which just sounds like the, the second movie, and Handy Andy. Handy Andy is a very 
from his robbing days. Yeah, but yeah. it's a very odd name. Ground Force. Not Ground Force. Uh, Change of Rooms. Change of Rooms. Yeah. That's Tommy Walsh and Charlie Dimmickin. Yeah. Alan, Alan Titchmarsh. Titchmarsh. Yeah. yeah. Because the quote went down so well in the first episode, Ben, we're going to bring it back. Uh, obviously, we'll... I have some creepy, eerie music behind you. So remember to give this both barrels, if you, if you forgive me for the pun after this case. But please go to town on The Voice for this. This is a quote about the case that kind of really set the mood. And this is from Donald Nielsen himself. I used to bath and go out in clean clothes, possibly disinfected, in order that there would be no scent for the dogs to follow. If you plan for bloodhounds, you will beat the police Alsatians. Very dog-related. Quite... Yeah. If you plan for bloodhounds, it sounds like an Eric Cantona quote after the end of the match. I could see him fitting that into a speech. Mm. Yeah. If you plan for... That was Russian. Yeah. Go on. Uh, if you... They say... I can't do French. I really can't do a good French. I do say... Mm. You plan for the bloodhound. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't, really. You can't do... You can't do... Betty. What? A green card. That's my... Oh, God. You're... I don't want to be... No, I can't do... <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't. Let's, Sorry. Let's leave that. Let's park that there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, park that there. Leave it. So today's case is Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther. And now we're going to go into the early life of Donald and see if there's anything that, you know, that spurred him to be this way, anything that moulded him to end up as the Black Panther. Donald Nappy was born on the 1st of August 1936 in the town of Morley, which is in West Yorkshire. There are some reports that he was born in Bradford, but this is incorrect. We've literally seen his birth certificate. So. We have. That's one nil to us. Lies. A bit like a nappy, full of shit. <laughs> on Morley, interestingly, when I first moved to Leeds, uh, the town of Morley, mm -hmm. uh, when I first moved to Leeds, very nearly ended up buying a house there. Didn't know the Did area you? well. He was the only son of Gilbert and Phyllis Nappy. Donald's father, Gilbert, worked as a willier for a textile mill. Phyllis Nappy's a very unfortunate name. And the father works as a willier. What, what does a willier do? Well, thank you for asking, Tom. <laughs> a... Uh, <laughs> A willier yeah. is someone who operates a willying machine. Um, and basically what a willying uh, machine does, Tom and Dan, it, it feeds fibres into a willying machine. A, a willier oh, feels fibres. Hey, 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 Willing your brain. Take a deep breath. I think people are going to listen to this. Fuck it out. So let's talk. What's a willier machine do, Ben? Go on. Okay. Go on. So a willying machine takes fibres, yep. separates them, combs them for carding, often blending them in the process, and it helps to make wool. Okay. Yeah, so a willier was the title given to someone operating that machine. Why not willier machine? Wouldn't that be... Some of the machines were actually named, Tom. There's a particular one, There's a, the first thing that comes up if you do a Google image of a, a, a willier machine, uh, a willying machine, sorry, don't Google willier machine. We the are 10 one, years old. First one that shows up is... Um, the Shake Willie machine. Oh, God. It's literally called that. It's just a hand. And it was also in Morley. <laughs> Gilbert Nappy was a willier. At four years old, Donald became an older brother to his sister Joyce when she was born in 1940. So the Nappy family lived in a very cramped one-bedroom terrace house, which was shared by all four members of the family. The father, Gilbert, was on a particularly low wage, not a lot of money in Willian, apparently, so worked almost every hour under the sun to try and make ends meet for the family. Willian away. Yeah, just willing into the early hours. Despite this, the family lived through the 1940s and 1950s on the verge of poverty, with food frequently having to be rationed. So the early years of Donald Nappy were said to not be even very pleasant, mainly due to the fact that he was teased incessantly from his very first day to school due to his surname, Nappy, which, I mean, we've already had a little giggle at. This caused Donald to resent both the name and his parents for making him carry his name. I've definitely heard worse surnames than Nappy. You got any examples? Sucking her? 
<laughs> I mean, now that you mention it. I mean, you mentioned it. Literally um, in your notes. Pull dick off. Yeah. That's a fairly yeah. unfortunate name. I mean, so the kids used to call them on Dirty Nappy and just things like that. On the crappy program. Nappy. Crappy Nappy. A Nappy Chappy. Oh, it's horrible. I don't think anyone said Nappy Chappy, did they? You oh, thought about that. Little Nappy Chappy. <laughs> He was a very small, small man and boy as well. Yeah, um, didn't help. So, so nappy chappy, little nappy chappy could have been yeah. one. But I suppose if your surname is Nappy and your father is a Willier, Willie and your nappy. Willie and your nappy. What does that? Yeah, mean? just saw a couple of words and tried to get. Doesn't really work. Yeah, no. Well, no, it doesn't. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. So Donald was bullied relentlessly by his peers for having the surname Nappy, but Donald would never lash out or even really react to the teasing and bullying. Instead, he would harbour a great deal of resentment and anger that he would repress all the way through to his adult years. As a result, Donald not only convinced himself that he would change his surname as soon as was legally possible, but that he would also get revenge on the many people that had wronged him or made fun of him. He's not lashing out. He's not retaliating mm. um he's just repressing that tucking mm. it away and decides when he gets old enough and big enough he's gonna enact revenge on all of the people that had wronged him he changes his name to donald diaper later on and doesn't realize what he's done and he's oh <laughs> not again <laughs> um but yeah it, maybe changing your name wasn't as popular that i don't know because you would have thought dan if you were had a name danny nappy sounds quite good it's so nappy. cute yeah you're so cute. I couldn't imagine yeah. you just wearing a nappy under your clothes. You add up clothes all the time. I do. You're fair. Fair play to you. Would you change it? Not the nappy. The, the name? It, could it hold you back in? It affects your confidence at that age. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I'll just, I think I'll just work with it, you know. Mm. It becomes my name, Danny Nappy. Yeah. Sounds quite cool. Danny Nappy. change it now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a story from the day of the wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, babe, quick one. <laughs> well, even me, Carter, I got called Carter Farter. Yeah, that's because you always fart, though. No, that was because it, it rhymed. There's evidence it's a rhyming of rhyming. It was a big rhyming thing at school. Was it? Yeah. Charter once, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Carter, farter, charter starter. Sounds German. Charter starter. <laughs> <laughs> so Donald attended a public school in which most of the children that attended came from a fairly deprived working class area. Despite being bullied, he was able to form a small group of friends, many of whom regarded him as fairly brave and fearless. So he kind of became the leader of this little gang at school. With Donald often cooking up schemes of things the group could do, ranging from stealing things from the school, to skipping classes and bunking off school, to sneaking out at night and trying to remain hidden from the adults around town. So Donald was a quite a mischievous little nappy. Mm, full of ideas. Full of ide mainly ideas. He's yeah. an ideas man. So Donald would become the leader of a small gang of boys who would each stick up for one another if they got into any trouble. They would also use kind of a herd mentality of the gang to try and avoid any of its members being bullied. When Donald was nine, he dared members of his gang to climb and jump off the roof of a bike shed that overlooked a cemetery behind the school. None of the members dared to, so Donald did it himself, spending half the remaining school day in the graveyard. The rest of his friends watched on in shock. I wonder how long they watched for. Park shed, that's what? Eight foot, six foot? High for a little nappy. Yeah, you're pretty cushioned as full. Uh, when Donald was 10 years old, his mother died after a lengthy battle with cancer. This impacted Donald massively as he was extremely close with his mother and regarded her as the one secure person in her life. This was possibly based on a fractured relationship with his father and all the fact that his father worked every day of the week at the mill. He seemed to shut down completely after learning of his mother's death. She was only 33 at the time. 
So Donald's father, Gilbert, was grief-stricken by the loss of Phyllis and didn't handle his grief in what would be considered a typical manner. Gilbert was a very tall, well-built man and he began to physically lash out at Donald and his younger sister without any kind of prompt. So the father, Gilbert, was also known to bring numerous female companions to the family home not long after losing his wife. And most of the times that he did this, he would kick Donald and his younger sister out of the house. However, sometimes he would introduce these women to the children mm. as well. Obviously, with his younger sister being quite a bit younger than Donald, he would then, once they were kicked out, kind of step up and be the one to make sure his sister was looked after. He would do everything he could to protect his sister and he would keep her safe whenever the father kicked them out. But this mm. would happen, like, you know, not just that if, if the father came home 10, 11 o'clock at night and the, the kids were sleeping, he'd wake them up and kick them out of the house. Wait, to, so weird, isn't it? Well, it's a one-bedroom terrace, Tom. Yeah. That's no excuse. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying that that's a reason for it. No. But, I mean, the living room, the kitchen. Oh, yeah. The the kids go there or? Oh, it'd be good, to be fair. It's better than outdoors where it's probably cold and wet and yeah. strangers lurking about. Yeah. And people grieve in different ways, don't they? But here's was William. So for Donald, looking after his younger sister, Joyce, became a running theme. Not long after his mother passed away, uh, his father, Gilbert, resumed working seven days a week. So he was out of the family home, you know, almost all the time. Donald was tasked with keeping the house in order and making sure that Joyce was taken care of. As Tom mentioned, after the loss of his mother, Donald seemed to drastically change his mood as well as his behaviours. He shut off uh, from his gang and kind of socially isolated himself. But he also begins to... At the age of 10 here as well, he begins to embark on a series of petty crimes. And in 1948, he was actually caught shoplifting. But due to his age and the fact that he had just lost his mum, I think the local police just kind of mm. took pity on him and, and let him off with a stern warning. So from his early teenage years, Donald became obsessed with weaponry, with a particular interest in rifles and shotguns. He also became obsessed with learning about atrocities from World War One and World War Two which seemed to spark a desire to eventually become a soldier. Donald left school at 15 and became an apprentice carpenter. He had remained somewhat of a loner throughout his rise to adulthood, with his few friends and even fewer female friends. So Donald refused to drink or smoke, even when pressured by others, and he would limit his social life to one night out dancing every four weeks at local dance halls and pubs in Bradford. It was at one of these particular dance halls that Donald met Irene Tate, who he instantly fell in love with. Irene was two years older than Donald, but the pair instantly struck up a bond. The two later got engaged, however, and I found this quite interesting, they opted to have a secret wedding, of which Irene's twin sister was not even made aware of. Mm. Crazy things. Donald also did everything that he could to keep Irene from meeting his father. If they had a secret wedding, mm -hmm. I assumed that would be a good chance for him to change his surname. If uh, Well, I think it's a, different th it's a different thing, isn't it? But you can, can't you sort of say, I want that one and we're going to go by this now. Can you marry us with this name? Is that how it's it works? not really how it works. I want this one. People, there's not just. I didn't go look for a long list. Oh, there's Norris. I'll keep that. Actually, <laughs> happy with it. I think the process of changing your name, you'd have to legally do that. And I think even, even changing your name, you have to. It, I think I know in America, you have to publicly put it out there that you're changing your name in the paper and things like that. Oh. I believe it's like with weddings. I think you have to announce you're getting married, and that mm. gets put somewhere so people could say if you're already married or kind of object against right. it. So imagine it wouldn't be as easy. Even if it was a secret wedding, there's that no doesn't make, secret rules. I think but, a secret wedding just means there's hardly anyone there. But it was still had to follow the... Uh, keep it secret, you know, keep this hush-hush. Well, I don't think the registrar was whispering. I think it was just a normal yeah. normal thing. I that they was, were whispering. Did you? Yeah. The little book, was it? I just thought if he was if he was really itching to change it, that would have been a good time to sort of two birds, one stone. Well, the, the twin says it wasn't made aware. So when Donald turned 18, he was drafted into the army to complete his national service. And 
something, you know, despite a few years of, of depression and, and grief that he'd experienced as a result of losing his mother, this ignited something in him. He absolutely jumped at the opportunity to be involved with this and he was eager to complete his training and become more familiar with firearms. He'd studied World War One, World War Two. he'd seen other soldiers in the village and this was something that he, he gravitated towards massively. So this really sparks a change within Donald and this will go on to sort of form what would be the initial part of the Black Panther. And before we delve into Donald's time in the army, we're going to say a little thank you to this week's sponsor. So we want to say a big thank you to the guys over at Dead Happy for sponsoring this week's episode. They're truly changing the life insurance game. And you know what, boys, as we've learned this week, you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, there might be some dumb guy with a broom, doesn't know how to use it, swinging it about and it could catch you. It could catch a few people. Then, I mean, I don't know if you've fallen under this category because... Try me. But the thing about Dead Happy is they're insuring the uninsurable. And the, the origin story of Dead Happy was one of the uh, one of the founders actually was, he answered loads of questions from, from many different companies trying to get insurance. And at the end of it, they all said no. And the guys at Dead Happy, like us, Ben, they hate injustice and they hate inequality. And that's why they accept all the mental health conditions and don't hike up the prices because of it. And at the time of recording, the average UK household is just 32 days away from the breadline. And that's because I mean, more significant in the news every single every single day. So the beautiful part about Dead Happy is that, first of all, it's simple and straightforward. You can get registered in just a few seconds, answer a few questions. You can get set up right away. You can also switch providers very easily and very quickly, thanks to the team over at Dead Happy. So don't bleed out of a wound from a living room broom. Doesn't rhyme. <laughs> yeah, it does. Doesn't rhyme. Living room, broom, wound. Wound doesn't rhyme with Eminem broom. could have made that rhyme. But you didn't die, but... Wow. Well, he didn't get infected. I could bleed out. It's not stopped. Just really slowly. I could be dead in four years. Plenty of time to get insured. And I mean, luckily, Ben, obviously you were like, it doesn't matter if I go after the cut because you're covered by dead happy and you knew, you know, it was sorted and your family would be looked after. My death wish will be made. Yeah. What was that to? Be buried with with your dogs. (laughs) Fucking hell. Sorry, boys. You're going. (laughs) Daddy's not feeling too good. So why not head over to Dead Happy and use our code MURDER for three months free? Not only will you be helping yourself and your loved ones, you'll also be helping the team over here at I Could Murder a Podcast. Technically, I guess, also loved ones, in a way. I don't know about that, then. You love us. Sign up. Sign up now. So Donald loved the discipline. He loved to follow and obey orders. He absolutely loved to prepare for various events and training missions. And this is the first time in Donald's life where he feels like he's found his calling. He's found what he's good at. And he apparently was a very good soldier. He, he was able to obey. He's very strong. He loved the regimentation. He had found his power and he had found his home. Donald felt like he'd find a sense of identity, a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. So despite having such a fondness for the army, he didn't take to life as a soldier quite so naturally, which surprised me. I thought he was, I thought when I was reading this, I thought he was going to be, you know, duck to water. Mm. Knows what he's doing. Goose to water. But he didn't quite take to it as well as, as perhaps he was expecting. So Donald actually ended up failing the 10-week basic training course. Imagine that. A Donald duck to water. Kind of, yeah. You never see him swim, actually, looking back. And he's my favourite. Did you put some trousers on Goofy. There? So he, he, he did the 10-week basic training course. I don't know if he got right to the end of this and then they realised he'd failed or if they failed him quite early. But basically what happened was he had to be back-squatted. And when I read that term, I thought, oh, God, what does that mean? But it just means to re-complete the training. I heard something different, though, Ben. I heard he he purposely failed it because he enjoyed it so much he wanted to do it again. That's a good excuse if you do fail something. He 
Founders calling. He enjoyed that whole process of it. And if you if you never felt more at home than doing that, perhaps the next mm. stages of it you want to go through it again. And it might even think that doing it all again it would actually make him more of a complete soldier. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's why so many people fail their driving tests the first time. Well, I didn't enjoy it. I just no, I know. Just found it. I passed first time. Better drivers usually tend to fail first one they do. Do they? Day. I think so. Did you you pass first time? Didn't you, Dan? I did. Yeah. 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 I've been in car both of you boys, especially you, Ben. I'm a good driver, man. Yeah, no, I'm a good driver. Dan likes to scare me when he drives as well. Doing what? Usually, sh- like that. no, you you brake really hard. You go thrive through the windscreen. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of windscreens we've gone through. I do see what you're saying about him saying, "Oh, I enjoyed it so much, I had to do it twice." But I feel like there are a few issues around him and the power of control. But also, I feel like he would have naturally failed. And just had to do it again, and that's a really good excuse to use if you do fail. Yeah, it, it could have been a case of he's just trying to make an excuse and, and make light of it. But yeah. In any case, uh, after being um, back squatted, he was able to recomplete the training. Donald would opt to stay in the army for another two years. He seemed to basically relish the hardships and the routine and the discipline, as we talked about, that military life forced on him. As a result, Donald spent six months on duty for a campaign in Kenya, where he undertook extensive jungle warfare training. So as a result of this jungle warfare training, he was given a rubber-stocked, short-barreled 303 rifle, which is a weapon, if you, if you put two of the images up at the same time, it looks a lot like a sawn-off shotgun, which is going to come up very much in this case as we dive into it. After serving in Kenya, Donald spent a year serving in Cyprus, where he became more immersed in the concept and very real possibility of death. So his main duty here in cyprus again this this surprised me you don't think of things like this well i don't think of things like this happening with soldiers but of course it happens with soldiers donald's main responsibility over in cyprus was to guard terrorists in a prison camp that Mm. were awaiting execution i thought that'd be be like that'd be prison staff doing that but i suppose if it's war criminals and Mm. terrorists probably requires a a higher level yeah yeah. Weaponry and whatnot too. Yeah, so he's basically guarding terrorists in a prison camp whilst they were awaiting execution. He enjoyed that role. He enjoyed having the control over mm. his prisoners and, uh, you know, the captives. Because the bully, because he still received a lot of disrespect during his time in the army because he, he he was a, a very short guy and yeah. a lot of people kind of would mock him. Still, his, his name would still be brought up quite a lot. Corporal Nappy or something like that. Something like that. But also, you mostly go by his surname when you're... You know. Nappy! Drop down and give me ten. Not that! <laughs> Fucking hell! What's that? A lot of shit. Oh. That's, funny, cause that's what I thought as well. <laughs> Ten poo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll probably do that for you. Pardon? If you asked. Nicely. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to do ten shits ever. <laughs> I want that to be on record. Yeah, so he, he was very disrespected as well. So it's kind of, he didn't join the army and it was all plain sailing and it was, he was immediately welcomed with open arms. He was basically still belittled he was very strong and very physically fit and he would always kind of complete things before people he was very high up in, in regards to that apart from but, the 10-week induction course and there was a, there there was a certain instance where the people that looked after the kind of the alsatians that were trained there they kind of would purposely set them out to kind of scare him and like jump up at him so That's like horrible. there's a bit of bullying they'd pretend oh you know we didn't realize and these are people who are who are lower down lower ranked than him we're doing this oh really too. yeah so they're doing these kind of stuff and and kind of ripping him and he never really got the respect people did know he was very capable very capable physically of kind of outperforming them so yeah i mean he wasn't able to shake off the bullying in his childhood it's, it's come with him through to his adult life here and yeah that's that's horrific setting the dogs on him mm. 
I feel the nappy, isn't it? So after completing his national service, Donald earned the rank of Lance Corporal, Lance Corporal Nappy. He then returned to England to be with his new wife, because that's a point as well. He'd only recently got married, mm. and then he was straight off into action. And the pair would go on to have a daughter that they named Catherine. And four years after his daughter's birth, Donald makes the decision to change the family name from Nappy to Nielsen, so that his daughter would not have to suffer the same bullying and abuse that he had to endure at school, and once again whilst serving in the army. So he goes into the deed poll office, registry office, and he probably says something like, I'm here to change my nappy. Name, name, (laughs) change my name, name. Oh, it was good. Name, I meant name. And there are a few different stories as to why he picked Nielsen as well, which we're going to talk about. A strong name, Nielsen. If you could pick any name, what would you... Corporal Nielsen. Lance Corporal Nielsen. But if you could pick any name, any surname, what would you go for? Mm. Apart from Norris, you can't have that. I can't have that. Ooh, ee, ooh, ee, ooh, ee, ee. Crow. Quite like an animal name. Ben Goose. Huh? <laughs> that sounds like a good a good beer. Ben Goose. Ben Goose. Mm. I have a pint of BG, please. Pardon? I'll have a pint of BG, please. Dan, any surname in the world? Well, do you know actually? Fun fact: we might be changing our second name when we marry. Have I told you this? No. It's so basically, Soph doesn't want to be a Lambert, and I don't want to be a Chapel. Oh, all right. Made for each other. <laughs> so we're getting married in a field. Well, the reason for not Chapel. going Lambert is because of Sos name, which is Sophiella. So it's a lot, a lot of L's. Sophiella Lambert. Lambert. That sounds Lambert. nice. Mm. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it kind of flows. Yeah, we've had more negative responses than positive, to be fair, but thank you. That's all right. But we might be both changing it to Cotier, which is my dad's mum's maiden name. Cotier. Mm. Cotier. How you spell Cotier. C-O-T-T-I-E-R. Cotier. Mm. Producer Dan Cotier. But well, we haven't decided fully. Is that, so, is that French origin? Uh, no, it's actually, it's quite heavily from up north, I think. Got here. So is that your answer for any surname in the world? Or well, I guess they're thinking no, that. But oh, see. Well. See. <laughs> it's not a cool one like Tom Crow. Is, Fender, is that cool? Fender's, is Fender's a cool one. I quite name. like Tom Crow. Fender's a cool one, isn't it? Fender. Mm. Mm. I'll probably go for Ben Fender. No, yours sounds too much like... <laughs> <laughs> B Fender. <laughs> oh, Ben Bender, I thought you were doing. Yeah. B-Fender. Uh, what? <laughs> B-Fender? <laughs> I didn't even mean it like that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were two steps ahead of me, but you weren't. I you don't. Were behind yeah, me. B-Fender does sound like... B-Fender. <laughs> B-Fender. <laughs> Here he is, the B-Fender. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys! <laughs> Let's have a pint of BG! <laughs> <laughs> and then I end your and beef. a plate of beef. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. What was yours? Ben Stanley. Ben Stanley. I think Carter's a good last name. I'm all right with Carter, to yeah, be fair. Solid. But if I couldn't keep it, then... Well, the only thing I was going to force you. Yeah, well, I'll stick. Unless you meet a girl called... Bianca. Yeah. Bianca Carter. Yeah, that's, that's a bit that's, jarring. That's isn't horrible. It? Isn't it? But I'm still open. If there are Biancas out there, let's chalk. Let's talk. Let's chalk. Let's chalk. So Donald returns to Yorkshire with a new air of confidence after his service, and he feels now he's in position to act out revenge against all of those who had wronged him. Mm. He did. Well, he wasn't. I think he was massively keen to leave the army. No, but there's a bit of pressure from from the wife to leave. Fair enough, because he's away all the time. And like all I mean, the time. Yeah. yeah. So he can't really be a good husband or a dad to to their daughter. So. um he it was like, okay, I will I'll come back. And I think he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And I mean, he'd carry out as much of, or he'd bring with him as much of his army days as he could get away mm. with, which we'll, we'll talk about. But over the next few years, the Nielsen family generally kept themselves to themselves. Donald resumed work as a carpenter, and he also tried to start up a series of, of small businesses, the first one being a small taxi business on just, the side. Just a two-seater. Now, according to a couple of Donald's friends, apparently he bought a taxi business from a man named Nielsen. And this is what made him decide to use that name instead of the surname Nappy. He must have been a really characteristic guy to make you think. Nielsen, yeah. But was it Nielsen as a first name, maybe? Because that Ooh. could be quite cool. All right, Nielsen? All right. Are you buying it still, Donny? Yeah, I'll buy a taxi business. See that? As easy as that in those days. So unfortunately for Donald, the taxi business never really took off. So Donald instead moved his attention to breeding and training up Alsatian guard dogs. I'm surprised he wasn't scared of them after his yeah. bu- after the bullying in the army. That would, that would scare me more than actual bullying, being chased by Alsatians. Yeah, I think most people. Yeah. But he wanted to breed them uh, and sell them on for security purposes. Uh, and he also wanted to work as a kind of a security consultant slash security guard. Again, this is something that he never fully committed to and never made any financial success from. Another short-winded business idea of Donald's was to make and sell customised garden sheds from his home. But again, he did not gain much custom. He has a really varied array of jobs has, there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm guessing he's learnt carpentry, carpentry from a, a young age mm. and he's clearly able to do things with it. Mm. 
but for some, maybe it's maybe is it him? Is that more on him than his skills? People just as opportunities for his carpentry work started to come less and less frequent, the Nielsen family decided to take on lodgers to generate additional money for the household. So another theory as to why Donald chose the name Nielsen was put forward by a lodger named Lena Thurnley, who stayed with the Nielsen family in the early 1960s. She claimed that Donald took the name Nielsen from an ice cream van from which he and Irene often bought ice cream for their daughter Catherine. Thurnley said that Donald told her, "I like that name." I was thinking he would probably try and take the business as well. Mm. But no. So yeah, a lot of reasons why he might have taken the name Nielsen. As Donald's daughter Catherine grew into a teenager, he began to tighten his grip of control on both Catherine and his wife Irene. So both of them were rarely allowed out of the house unless it was to take one of the dogs for a walk or to go swimming with him as part of the family fitness regime that Donald had initiated. His overbearing ways began to put a strain on his marriage as well as his relationship with his daughter. So Nilsson seemed to take his military standing incredibly seriously, even many years after completing his national service. He was said to walk casually in what very much appeared to be a march. He also regularly wore paratrooper boots, olive green trousers and battle dress jackets, as well as purchasing an ex-army jeep to drive around in. Really picturing a certain guy. Yeah. It gave the impression that he was never off duty despite having been off duty for several years. You don't see those videos of people who have stolen valour. Yeah, they just wear yeah. them, wear it around. Well, I'm immediately thinking of that uh, for the Cambridge people in the house, that little army shop, shop next yeah. to the Regal. Yeah, because there were loads of guys that would rock up into the Regal with like sort of big army boots or a, a, a camouflage I backpack. Can see him coming. Instead of going on family holidays, Donald would make his wife and daughter go camping with him, and also embark on faux military exercises slash missions. Yeah. The mission is get Donald a beer. <laughs> If you choose to accept. Add some peanuts. He would buy loads of ex-military uniforms and use them as props for him and his family, taking photos of them as if they were all on a family holiday and filling albums with them. He took them to Yorkshire Moors to play army games together. Yeah, imagine. Um, Catherine, what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to go to, go to the flicks? Oh, I'm going with my dad on an army mission. What are you doing? Just just, just camping in the field, taking lots of photos. It's a sad life. I feel, yeah. I feel bad for Catherine and Irene. It's really bizarre. Is that him kind of in a way, not bullying them, because they're, well, it's, nothing's been proven that he was either physically aggressive with um, either the mother or the daughter. But is that his way of, again, kind of exercising control? It reeks to me of he has no friends. There is that. Maybe he feels the army gave him certain skill sets and knowledge that he wants to embark and share with them for their own protection. And Sometimes people get very, like, paranoid about being you know unsafe and whatnot mm-hmm. a bit like a end of days prepper kind of guy yeah okay. um but yeah it is it's very he looks, odd he looks so happy in the series of photos as well that he made them take so happy i can just imagine the wife and the daughter behind the camera just yeah. why are they all of him one thing that has been linked to his behavior kind of within the army and outside the army is the sas mantra perfect planning and preparation prevents poor performance and this is yeah something that donald really took quite literally nappy retained all the peas that's um, so good it's, it's a stretch so it was a nappy by the time it was full so as the years went by obviously and this kind of is echoed in his behaviours with his wife and his daughter he began fantasising and reminiscing more and more about his life as a soldier and possibly whilst feeling the financial strains that were not too dissimilar to that of his father, Donald began to panic. He makes a very drastic decision that, bearing in mind all the skills and techniques and training he's, he's taken on board from his time in the army, he will begin to complete a series of burglaries and thefts in order to generate an income. I think this bit is, is that, that is very odd to me. I mean, obviously in his childhood he, would, he did a little bit of like petty thieving. Yeah. 
but I'm imagining penny sweets. Another thing that I know that he was feeling was in the area that they were living and the family were based, a lot of um, families from, from overseas were coming over and moving over there and had a lot more money than, than he did. And he felt like, you know, as an Englishman, he should have more money. It's his, it's his country. He was very that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So he got very frustrated at the fact that people had bigger houses than him and more money than him. And he's what, you know, he's been in the army. He had a, so that really... Stop buying memorabilia, Donald. <laughs> Your Jeep. Sure. Trade it in. So that was kind of really put a bee in his bonnet. And he well, he wanted to, I want to earn money quick. I want to make big money. What's the way of doing it? And I think, you know, from being in the army, he would have grown up with a lot more. I would have thought a lot more morals, mm-hmm. but he's gone, okay, fuck it. I'm going to just get money any way I can. A different route to that of Del Boy, trying to make money, you know, quick, you know, this time next year, uh, Donald will probably be in prison. Do you like Only Fools? Do I like Only Fools? And horses. Yeah. The ventures, the business ventures that he had. Yeah. I was getting a bit of Del Boy vibes from him, but then they went down different paths, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, Del Boy, he really had one business, didn't he? Oh. It doesn't work, Karen. So another thing that really stood out to me is if you compare his childhood, which wasn't a great childhood, he's gone through some trauma, compare that to Richard Ramirez at the start of this series, mm. this is a huge escalation. Like, he's got a happy home. Well, he's happy in his home life. Mm. Uh, the wife and daughter might disagree. He's not gone through any kind of abuse during his childhood. Maybe once or twice there were run-ins with his father, but that's been disputed. There's no blow to the head. There's no sexual abuse. There's no physical abuse that we're aware of. Bullying's about as... Yeah. And for a surname, it's not like bullying, like physical bullying. It's just it's just words, Donald. Yeah, it's just a lot, a lot of bullying. I think as well, I do think the fact that he was very sh- a very short man as well came into it because that does kind of affect people's confidence mm-hmm. and the way they look at it. He's only five foot six. This is a significant escalation. If you compare every, almost yeah. every other case, there's not been... The only other one that was quite surprising was the Chris Watts case because mm. apart from not really dating that much, yeah, perfect childhood. Ian Watkins. Again, yeah. 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 So there's a couple cases actually, yeah. But this surprised me, this, this, this plan. I mean, I don't know how dire his financial situation is or was, but this is a big decision. So we're going to go into the timeline of the Black Panther now. It's important to note that over this timeline, although it's condensed, he did commit over 400 home and shop robberies without detection. So there may have even been more than that that, that he got away yeah. with. And this is where he starts to become notorious initially as the Black Panther. But then there are also the nicknames the Phantom and Handy Andy. And to confuse police during these f- over 400 burglaries, he would steal either different items and he would have kind of a different MO in terms of mm. the way he entered the building, the mess that he left it in, or if he left it perfectly tidy. Sometimes he would go into how and just not take anything but let people know that he'd been in by breaking the door down yeah so he's just trying to confuse people at this point but i think again if you go back to his army days all the planning organization it's kind of a lethal combo in terms of what he's then going to go on to do he would also steal things for example a television or a radio from a house and then just dump it to again throw police off the scent which unless you're taking other things that's kind of waste of time yeah if you're you're counting it as your job then yeah i mean and as well it's it's worth saying for the timeline his actions would go on to inspire people like peter sutcliffe in terms of evading the police taunting the police it very much kind of inspired the yorkshire ripper so it's worth stomping ground isn't it yeah it's worth to note how you know the the crimes of donald nielsen would echo around around the whole country and now we're going to go into the timeline of the black panther So we begin at the year of 1965. This marks the beginning of Donald Nielsen's criminal activities. Prior to 1965, as we mentioned, Nielsen had embarked on numerous business ventures. However, none of them had brought him any luck and he was beginning to take on more and more financial strain. By this point, he has a wife and young daughter to support and growing ever more desperate, 
makes the decision to turn to crime in order to fund his life. He starts off by breaking into houses, looking to steal any valuable possessions or cash that may be left lying around. He earns himself the nickname Brace and Bit Robber with the police due to the method in which he commits the breaking and entering. He uses a brace and bit to drill a hole in a window frame and then either a screwdriver or a coat hanger to open the catch. Quite quite elaborate, that. Although he breaks into hundreds of homes without detection, he never scores big, and he is left feeling deflated and thirsty for more. So him taking his carpentry skills yeah, into the crime world. very much so. Very much Obviously, so. Obviously, Ben, you're a big DOI guy. Yeah, big time. For people who don't know... What is a brace and bit? Good question, Tom. No, but you know. Obviously, I'm coming to the guy who knows his tools. I've just lost my place, but let me let me answer your question. You lost your place. Um, so a brace and a bit. A brace and bit is basically a type of drill. Let me just double check that, though. Oh, oh, it's one of those twisty ones. Yeah. We'll throw a picture up for you guys that are joining us visually. Well, it's actually referred to as a carpenter's brace. And I don't mean he scored two goals. Um, I mean, Or he's got bad teeth. Absolutely. Basically, a hand drill. But the rotation of the drill and the shape of it makes it, I'm going to continue to do these motions, generates the push from the, the drill. So it's basically a little hand drill, a bracing bit. Dan, I've always describing it, or is that a bang on? It's, it's close enough, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so 1967, Nielsen, frustrated that his petty criminalities are not paying off, thinks long and hard about which avenue of crime to pursue next. After much consideration, he turns his attention to Robin sub post offices. So a sub-post office is typically a smaller local branch of a post office. But once you probably find in a village. Bit. Village post office, yeah. Just a little one. one. <laughs> you either, basically, a small po- village post office, you either got a chocolate bar or a birthday card and not a lot else to buy. Football stickers. Usually at the counter they are, yeah. Yeah, they are. They offer fewer services than normal post offices and Nielsen believes that they will make an easy target due to them usually operating without any security measures in place and often only run by one or possibly two people maximum. So usually maybe one person in the post office bit where they're like, hmm, giving you the stamps. And they're usually, I'm going off my own experiences, but they're usually a little bit older. But it says here, ages can vary. Interesting. So between 1967 and 1974, Donald raids 18 sub-post offices. And although no one gets hurt during these early robberies, as time goes on, Nielsen does develop a more aggressive manner of theft and he starts to carry a gun with him during the raids. He's got quite an interesting look throughout these uh, these robberies, hasn't mm. he? All big black duffel jacket, balaclava. It's quite scary. Why does it sound like it's giving you a thrill? Sorry? He's, he's wearing a big black jacket and a big mask. <laughs> Runs a chill down your spine. As we kind of mentioned earlier on, he's very much looking at this as, as his employment. He's, he's, this is his job. He can have good days, he can have bad days. And he, get, he does get more and more frustrated if he's robbing and basically there's not much there. It's kind of a bit like Ramirez and he would ask people where's, where's the valuables and be really kind of like thorough with that side of things. But essentially, yeah, bad day at the office. He's gone somewhere, hasn't got what he wanted, come home. And he's like very conscious of trying to keep up with the neighbours and not supply and, and be able to provide for his family as well. February 16th, 1972. Nielsen targets a sub-post office in Haywood, Lancashire, where he breaks in and wakes the owner, Leslie Richardson, as he is sleeping in bed. Richard wakes to find a hooded intruder in the bedroom he shares with his wife, and fearing the worst, he jumps out of bed and launches an immediate attack on Nielsen, yelling for his wife to call the police. Nielsen and Richardson struggle in the dark when Nielsen produces a sawn-off shotgun and tells Richardson, in an attempted West Indian accent, that the gun is loaded. Richardson, not believing the threats, grabs the gun and pulls the trigger himself. Two shots are fired into the ceiling, and in the chaos, Richardson is able to pull back Nielsen's hood and get a good look at his face. 
The struggle between the two men continues and Nielsen manages to stamp on Richardson's feet, breaking some of his toes in the process and then goes on to knee him in the groin. With Richardson doubled over from the pain, Nielsen flees the property empty-handed. Once the police arrive, Leslie Richardson helps to provide them with a description to create the first photo fit of their suspect. So in this case, we're going to go on to see many different photo fits. But this first one is actually fairly strong resemblance mm. of uh, Donald Nielsen. The West Indian accent, I'm not sure if that's nodding to the new neighbours that he's got around him and he's kind of wanting to kind of cast doubt on, on that community as well. You know, him bringing the gun in and, and fair play to um, Leslie for actually fighting back. Yeah. And believing also that the gun was a, a, a fake or not not even loaded. Yeah, I don't know if I, that's fair play because that is just, it was loaded, isn't it? Brave, isn't it? Is it brave? I'd say that's brave, yeah. What, assuming the gun's fake? Brave to pull a trigger, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm brave. saying it's brave him fighting a guy with a gun, but then him assuming that the gun's fake and then pulling the trigger doesn't add to the braveness. Yeah, it makes him more brave. That is mental. Yeah, definitely brave. Su- what? Super How? brave, super brave. To try the gun that he's been threatened with. Yeah. Away from him. To prove that, How that's not prove that it was fake. He was like... Super brave. But it's not, it's not, fa- it's stupid because <laughs> it's not fake. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't know that. Obviously not because that's what he's doing. But... Yeah, brave. brave. I know. Brave guy. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying he's, I said he was brave. Stupid guy probably would have got killed. Yeah, luckily, it wasn't a broom knocking about. Oh. Um, almost two years to the day later, on the 15th of February 1974, Nielsen targets another sub post office in Harrogate with the intention of scoring big. Things take a turn for the worse almost immediately, though, as Nielsen comes face to face with the postmaster's 18 year old son. Postmaster is such a yeah, grandiose think, name. Makes me think that he's some sort of boxer. The postmaster's son. Why boxer? Just hench, just scary. Because boxers get post. Just postmaster. Okay. Any kind of master. Nielsen manages to prevent further detection by tying up the postmaster's son. He then proceeds with his raid and comes face to face with owner Donald Skepper. Skepper leaps toward Nielsen, who doesn't hesitate and immediately pulls the trigger of the shotgun he is carrying. Skepper is shot in the chest and then ultimately dies of his wounds. Nielsen flees the scene, once again empty-handed and now officially a murderer. So yeah, that's, I mean, he obviously learned from his previous one that he's not going to entertain the idea of, of a scuffle and yeah, he didn't seem to be at all worried about becoming a murderer essentially yeah i think um i think at this point he didn't want to leave anyone any victim who had seen his appearance yeah and it, he basically didn't want to leave any victims alive at the scene of his crime so nielsen lies low for the next six months in the attempt to not draw attention to himself however clearly growing desperate once again he decides to target another sub post office on september the 6th 1974. This time, the sub-post office is in Baxenden, Lancashire, and is owned by Derek Astin, who lives on the property with his wife and two children. Nielsen breaks into the property, masked and dressed in all black. He wakes Mr. and Mrs. Astin when he enters their bedroom, and in an act of defence, Mr. Astin jumps out of bed and rushes to confront the intruder. All of his potential victims are immediately reacting and immediately trying to rush him. Very brave. All very, very brave. All of them. Yeah. It's a lot of brave. Not, not stupid glad the last time. Huh? Glad you heard that. What do you say? I said stupid. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> no, stupid if they're just trying to prove a gun's fake when it could possibly be real. But they're brave because they're actually just rushing him, trying to get the job done, protect the family. I don't think they've seen the gun at this point to test it. So Mr. Astin jumps out of bed and rushes to confront the intruder and a struggle commences, which spills frantically out onto the landing of the house. The gun goes off, 
Derek Astin has been shot. Reeling from panic, Nielsen attempts to flee the property, and on doing so, he falls dramatically down the stairs. However, aside from a few bruises, he manages to make it out. Although once again, another raid is unsuccessful, and he leaves the property empty-handed, but this time with blood on his hands. Derek Astin unfortunately dies later in hospital as a result of the gunshot wound sustained in the fight. It is after this raid that Nielsen earns himself the nickname, the Black Panther. After Mrs. Astin detailed how the killer was dressed in dark clothing and was so quick, he was like a panther. Does anyone refer to panthers as being quick? Cheetah's the quick one from the cat family. But I don't think anyone goes, he's so quick like a panther. It feels panthers, like... Aren't panthers more like silent and can creep around? Yeah, so it would be, he, was, he was so stealthy like a panther would, yeah. would, would add to it more. I feel like it's kind of maybe a word to be twisted a little bit to then help aid given the name. Panthers are all black as well, so maybe that was just Yeah, no, that. but I'm just saying that the quote they use in Ben is so quick he was like a panther. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. If you said that he was dressed in all black like a panther, then your point there would be... I wasn't making a point. Oh, you were just saying words for yeah. no meaning? Yeah. Okay. The Black Panther name sticks and it is during this time that police link the previous sub-post office raids and the murder of Donald Skepper as being committed by that of the same man. Two months later and Nielsen decides to change his tactic. It is November the 11th, 1974 in Langley, West Midlands, when postmaster Sidney Grayland hears a knock at the door. He opens it to be greeted by a masked and hooded Nielsen. Little does Sidney Grayland know, but Nielsen is carrying a bottle of ammonia and he intends to squirt his victim in the face as a disabling tactic. However, the plan goes horribly wrong when Nielsen only manages to... S he, he has little elements of you in him, Ben. Mr. Beanie. However, the plan goes horribly wrong when Nielsen only manages to squirt himself in the face with the chemical liquid by mistake. In desperation, he rips off his face covering and reveals himself. Notified by the noise at her front door, Mr. Grayland's wife comes to see what all the commotion is about. This triggers Nielsen to launch a violent attack on her, which ultimately ends in him fracturing her skull. He shoots Sidney Grayland, killing him instantly, and then makes off with approximately £800 in postal checks that he took from their safe. Upon investigation, police discover that the bullets from the scene match those of previous incidents and realise that the Black Panther is also responsible for this latest attack. Mrs. Graydon survives the attack and proceeds to help police with description of Nielsen. He's bumbling, isn't he? He is bumbling. That's the thing, I think, well, as I said at the very beginning of this case, how he differs to what I expected. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was... I mean, he's, he got away with hundreds and hundreds of robberies. But I always thought he's a lot more calculated and a lot more kind of... I don't know. It does seem a bit of a... He doesn't look stupid in the photos you see of him. Like, he's got a very serious face on. He looks quite calculated in appearance. But I wasn't expecting this. Mm. I wasn't expecting him to accidentally squirt himself in the face with bad chemicals. Yeah, Nilsson would travel 100 miles away to cash the checks that he stole in order to not, you know, immediately cause alarm because they are checks, he had to cash them in. And he knew that the police would follow the number on the check and it would eventually trace back to the robbery. So he used to taunt police here and he'd have put the name as Beware, as in Beware, or sea trail for Billy's to see the trail there. That, yeah, that makes up for some of his. And also, B Fender. Which was. <laughs> fuck's sake. D Nappy. <laughs> Ten shits. In 1975, we come to the event that is the most defining and recognisable when talking about Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther, the kidnapping of 17-year-old Leslie Whittle. 
In order to set the scene, we must digress three years and pinpoint the exact moment where Nielsen decided this was to be his big win. It was a crime three years in the planning after Nielsen came across a newspaper article in the Daily Express which outlined how Leslie Whittle had been left a fortune of over £82,000 by her late father, George Whittle, a wealthy businessman who owned a successful coach transportation company. So not only did uh, the father, uh, George, leave money to uh, Leslie, he also left £107,000 to the son, Ronald. I mean doesn't sound like a a huge amount of money but when you look at it based on the fact that this was 1975 82,000 pounds and I know we laugh and joke about this in today's money but 82,000 pounds is worth 764,000 pounds that is insane isn't it and 107,000 pounds is worth 9,900,000 pounds today yeah, it's just just short of a mil, which is pretty crazy. Three grand short of a mil. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I was searching that up and finding sure Staggered. that was wrong. But yeah, it, it's, it obviously over the years, that's, it's just grown and grown and grown. But yeah, this is obviously um, Nielsen's seen this and he's like, okay, let up the ante here. I can get a big payday. Because mm-hmm. he's, yeah, he's very frustrated by the fact that he is, he's been getting money here and there from doing his robberies, but not enough to kind of really like just be able to. He doesn't, I think he wants to knock the scene on the head really yeah. one last big payday and then just drive off in his army jeep definitely but at the same time let's plant this seed he's also got away with murder twice I think there's more to it at this point I think go on well he's got away with murder twice at this point I feel like he feels a little bit invincible I don't honestly believe he intended for the plan to go the way that it will go on to go mm. but I also think He's not that fussed if it does in some of his behaviours here. Like, I feel like he feels whatever happens once he's gone all in, Mm. if he kills her, if he holds her to ransom, he's not fazed by either outcome. Mm. Inspired by the thought of getting his hands on some of the family's fortune, Nielsen spends years concocting his abduction and ransom plan. January 14th, 1975 is the day Nielsen decides to execute his plan. He drives to the Whittle family home in Shropshire on the night of January 14th, where he breaks into an unsuspecting 17-year-old Leslie's bedroom. Leslie, terrified from the shock of being greeted in her own bedroom by a strange man, and also it's worth noting that Leslie was naked at the time, Nielsen is able to kidnap Leslie without any noise or struggle. Nielsen directs her at gunpoint to put on her dressing gown and a pair of slippers, and the kidnapper and his victim vacate the property without raising any alarm. Nielsen leaves a ransom note in the living room of the family home demanding £50,000 for the safe exchange of Leslie and basic directions which the family should follow in accordance with his plan. I remember he was hearing as well that he kind of thought, you know, he's not asking for all the money. Yeah, he's asking he's for, being smart, isn't he? He's asking for an amount which they go, oh, it's just 50 yeah, no worries. And now we're going to go into a bit more detail about exactly where Donald takes Leslie. And this is the bit I think that everyone thinks about with this case, just how horrific this is, the idea of this. And I think... Yeah, it, it's, it shows how planned out and thought out he was, but it, it is absolutely horrifying. So Nielsen ends up taking Leslie 65 miles away from her family home to his hiding place that he'd already kind of pre-planned this whole element. It's, it's very disturbing when we, when you get into it. So he arrived down to Bathpool Park and after removing a manhole cover he basically instructs Leslie to climb down a ladder leading to a drainage ditch. And it's basically, this would only typically be accessed by people 
going down to inspect the drainage site mm. itself. So it's a very narrow, I think it was 11 inches, the uh, the opening to get down there. So he's forcing her, it's pitch black, and she's going down into this drainage ditch. Where uh, you, can... you think as well, with her going down there and people inspecting it, they're only inspecting it if something was to go wrong. Exactly. Not, so it's not a case that it's commonly, it has a lot of people going past or through that area. So the idea of being led down those dark stairs. Yeah. I mean, he has assured her that, you know, she's not going to come to harm, but you do you know there's a gun involved you're wearing just a dressing gown and some slippers being put down this dark manhole cover and he provides her with covers doesn't he and, and, and some soup yeah and she's trying to show her that he's caring and nice and not to be alarmed he's trying to build rapport with her whilst also trying to force her down a, a manhole shaft which is just yeah, yeah it's terrifying they encounter a number of obstacles on the way down including a waterfall that they have to climb past and they arrive at an abandoned shaft and this is where he's basically going to keep Leslie hidden. He doesn't feel that she can get out if he's watching. Mm. I mean, he basically convinces her that he will be watching the entrance of the manhole. If she tries to escape, she could fall. If she tries to escape, he'll be waiting at the top. So yeah. she feels basically her best instinct is to is to stay there. So on this abandoned platform that he keeps Leslie, there's also he's also put a mattress there and yeah. a sleeping bag. So she's got... She, well, he, had, she, he had all the camping gear. Exactly. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. He's... Got her down there. What he then does is attach a wire noose to her, meaning that basically she cannot leave a certain distance of that shaft mm. without then the wire, you know, restraining her yeah. from, from escape. And that was a quite the quite the drop anyway, wasn't there? Like, yes. you think about it, it's just honestly, this gives me the thought of this. It's just unthinkable. It's, isn't it's it? terrible. Constant darkness as well. Mm. The sound of running water. The sound of possibly, you know, you could pro possibly hear a little bit of because it was next to the M6 mm. so you could hear a little bit maybe of, of, of vehicles travelling past so yeah absolutely terrifying so he attaches this noose to her neck and clamps it explaining you aren't going anywhere but you're safe he then tightens the noose with a spanner to ensure that she's not not going anywhere yeah so any of the audio listeners I mean feel free to come over to YouTube and have a look at some of these images but it, it, it is truly truly ghastly the drainage shaft was used to control the uh, the drainage of a reservoir nearby mm. reservoir but it was very rarely used and as tom said only ever inspected if there was something seriously wrong but mm. if they only use it to drain an overflowing reservoir very yeah. very rarely gets used so she was kept in this particular shaft but it also had within it this is how much planning when involved access to an escape route if he was for whatever reason caught mm. and needed to get away with leslie there was an escape route that he planned but there was also access to another shaft where he asked for the money to be dropped yeah we'll go on to talk about that but they had no idea the drop-off point was also where leslie was being held captive yeah. and there are ransom calls made from it and, and bits and pieces like that it's it's terrifying i mean the photos will we'll, we'll have popped a load of photos up on our on our video episode it's this is what stuck with me when i first mm. learned about the case definitely so leslie's absence is only discovered the following morning when she fails to show up for breakfast her mother curious as to where her teenage daughter is goes to the girl's bedroom where she expects her still to be lazing in bed Upon finding Leslie's bed empty, she searches the house where the ransom note is discovered, and the police are immediately summoned. Leslie's brother and mother carry caution when it comes to the police, as the ransom note has outlined that the police are not to be involved in any way. The note also details that Leslie's brother, Ronald Whittle, should be the one to follow out the plan and conduct the exchange of money. The ransom note left by Nielsen details how Leslie's brother Ronald is to go to the Swan shopping telephone box and await further instructions. During the first few hours, a local reporter gets wind of the kidnapping event, and without warning, all thought of Leslie's safe return broadcasts the story on live radio. Why do people that's, do? I know it's like this is rogue, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like with um, Ramirez, the shoes. I know it's like a big thing. It's like it's one of our gossip, isn't it? It's like oh, you never guess. But it's like yeah. that is just such 
Worried that the news report has scared off the kidnapper, the police prevent Ronald from attending the telephone box. Nielsen, in fact, has not heard the news report and is completely oblivious to the goings-on. He becomes confused and angered when no one is available to take the phone call at the Swan shopping phone box, as he demanded. So on the 16th of January, the Whittle family receive a phone call with a pre-recorded message from Leslie. So he'd basically recorded a bunch of, uh, of messages to, to deliver to the family whilst Leslie was down in the drain shaft. So when you hear this audio, it's just, I mean, she's calm and she's she's pleasant in what he's instructing her to say, but it's just, once you hear it, it really stays with you. In the message, she states that she is okay and that she is being treated well. She directs them to another telephone box where they will find further instructions on how to make the money drop that night. However, the next few hours do not go to plan, and after extensive arrangements by the police take much longer to finalise than expected, Ronald Whittle sets off for the designated phone box. By this time, it is already 1.30 in the morning. Unfamiliar with the area, Ronald gets lost numerous times, which only adds further delay to the safe return of Leslie. Imagine that if you're the brother as well, yeah. and, and all that responsibility being placed on you. Apparently, the notes and the directions were really terribly written and it's only you'd only really understand them if you were very aware of the area it was very kind of like it's like um, Dwight Schrute saying how to get to his farm oh god Schrute farms yeah <laughs> when you hear the bees turn left it was just really kind of yeah yeah you, and is that Donald just thinking everyone's at his level yeah. of map reading I think he's it. like okay. I can just write a note for him and you know he's trying to be a bit mysterious but yeah. also like this is such a needs to be so precise yeah and I just imagine if you're in because I get stressed when I'm lost and not yeah, delivering yeah. ransom money yeah. the worry if of if a road's closed you get very angry very angry if a road's closed yeah I'm tapping my hand now thinking about closed mm. roads but he, if he knows that time is of the essence and his younger sister is in a kidnapped state that must be the thoughts going through your head then mm, definitely Ronald eventually locates the phone box where he finds a short message that states he is to go to Bathpool Park and wait for a flashing light signal 90 minutes later than expected, Ronald arrives to Bathpool Park. However, it is dark and he does not know his surroundings. He grows confused about where exactly he needs to be, so he parks up and flashes his headlights into the night, hoping and praying for a response of some kind. When no one presents themselves, he gets out the car and starts shouting into the pitch black, alas to no avail. Hopeless and desperate, he vacates the scene and meets back up with the police. I imagine that was a hard decision to make going... As it turns out, Nielsen had previously run the route and calculated that Ronald Whittle should have arrived at the scene hours before he did so. However, he had not taken into account these unforeseen issues, such as lack of knowledge of the local roads. A courting couple who had pulled up to Bathpool Park for some alone time reported seeing flashing lights from a distance, but were confused as to why the signal was being directed towards them. Isn't that a renowned dogging signal, Ben? I mean, it sounds, it sounds fairly spot on, Tom. Okay, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Nielsen, thinking the car must have belonged to that of Ronald because it had arrived within these calculated and expected time frame, mistakenly took the young couple as the ransom money holders and proceeded with the flashlight signal. When no further action was taken, he vacated the premises and was left feeling completely floored. And flaccid. I don't know why. Because the dog in, he didn't get any action. Would you leave flaccid then? I don't know, man. The blue board would be better. Now, after two failed attempts at retrieving the £50,000 in cash, Nielsen is desperate for money and on the same evening attempts a raid on a nearby security depot, which I would have thought was a terrible idea. Sec bold, yeah. Security guard Gerald Smith is shot and in an effort to flee the scene quickly, Nielsen leaves behind his green 1300 Morris car. The car remains undetected at the scene for eight whole days. When the police finally take notice of it, they discover a host of evidence within the car, such as Leslie's slippers, a cassette tape with Leslie's voice on it, 
tape and gun cartridges. Wow. So he, one thing he did with his messages, you know those little um, label writers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to write his, his uh, messages on those with a little white text on it. Yeah, yeah, He wrote his rants and stuff, notes and stuff like, on using that. That takes so long, wouldn't so, it? So, so long. So, so long. One spelling mistake in you. Oh. He's a, an organised guy. He would have known leaving that car behind might have been the start of his downfall. So yeah. he's got to change up his plan here. So forensic evidence highlights the ballistics and fingerprints taken from the gun cartridges belong to Donald Nielsen. And the police, for the first time, realise that the Black Panther is responsible for the kidnapping of Leslie Whittle. Having previously dismissed a full search of Bathpool Park because it was suggested that there was nothing to be found there, police quickly changed their tune upon finding the car. And that's the thing as well, sending the brother to a full park and not telling him specifically which part of the park to be mm. in, just flash your lights. It's a big place. And so no wonder one also is a few hours late, but... Yeah, I mean, that's big the park, that's the big fucker. I mean, I think that is terrible planning <laughs> from the, if the police are holding him up for that long and then he doesn't know the roads. It's like, yeah, you're not expecting the person's going to wait there that long, especially if someone's life is at stake. So an all-in hunt of Bathpool Park is ordered and it is on the 7th of March 1975, almost two full months after Leslie Whittle was abducted, that police discover her naked body hanging from a wire cable in the drain shaft where Nielsen had left her. Tragically, her feet are mere inches from the bottom of the shaft. The shaft that uh, Donald had basically made Leslie climb into was in total 62 feet mm. deep but they went very very deep into the shaft yeah. to get to the abandoned area where he was keeping her now the tragic part about this is the noose the, the cable noose that he placed around Leslie's neck he thought it was long enough to allow if an accident did happen and she fell from the shaft edge downwards he felt it was still enough to prevent her from dying however as we found out is that what he said because I mean he, well he claimed that you wouldn't put a, a noose around someone's neck and go, if they fall, they're going to be fine. But it was more to prevent her from climbing up and getting out. Yeah, I know, but so, yeah, he probably wasn't thinking about the fall inside of it, I, I guess. I don't think that had factored too much into his plans, but he'd allowed enough to hope, yeah. hopefully keep her in place. The Whittle family are left devastated and the police are widely criticised for their blundering efforts throughout the case. Both the local police and Scotland Yard point fingers at one another over who was responsible for the lack of communication and no real ownership over the errors committed is ever taken. So there is a lot of speculation about the manner of Leslie's death and it is suggested that fueled by rage and anger after the multiple failed money drops, Nielsen returned to the shaft where Leslie was held and deliberately pushed her off the edge of the ledge where she was being kept, knowing that she would plunge to the bottom, either dying from the impact of the fall or from hanging by the wire noose around her neck. Regarding this particular theory, Nielsen continued to maintain his innocence and states that her death must have been an accident, with her wandering over the side of the ledge by herself by mistake. So obviously it was very dark down there. It would have been possible for her to perhaps yeah. make an incorrect step, but... If yeah. she was knowing that she had a noose around her neck and needed to st remain, you know, in that mm. particular area. I mean, she's there for two months. So you think, yeah. even thinking of things like you're going to have to... active and well, keep stretching your legs and bits like that. Well, even just yeah, going to the toilet and things like that. You're going to have to move around and walk about a bit. So it's maybe it's not... Pitch blackness. You'd have yeah. to kind of get a feel for yeah. where you're standing. And if you lose your bearings at any point and then move the wrong way, it's, it's plausible. It's plausible. Like you said earlier on, in terms of... I, I get the feeling he didn't 
really mind either way how it was going to end for her. Yeah. So. yeah. The forensic evidence suggests that because of the lack of contents in her stomach, Leslie had endured serious hunger over a number of days. She had lost a lot of weight and appeared emaciated. The post-mortem carried out on Leslie demonstrated that she did not die from strangulation, which one would expect if found hanged, and she actually died from vagal inhibition, which in simple terms means that she died of shock either the shock of the fall from the ledge or shock from fear that caused her heart to stop. Amazingly, although listed as the UK's most wanted man, Nielsen manages to avoid getting caught and remains at large throughout 1975. He continues with his hold-up robberies on sub-post offices, however he manages to refrain from killing anyone else during this time, thankfully. December 1975, his ultimate capture all comes down to a very lucky case of coincidence. In December 1975, two policemen in Mansfield, Nottinghamshire, spot a man dressed all in black and acting in a suspicious manner outside a local sub-post office. They call him over under the guise of a routine inspection and ask for his name. Upon providing a fake name, the police ask Nielsen to write it down for them. Nielsen produces a shotgun and forces one of the officers into the back seat, whilst instructing the other to climb into the driver's seat and drive them to Blidworth, a village a few miles away. If your police are asking you questions, this seems to be a really stupid way to act if you're trying to avoid getting caught for anything. You go, just carry on with the fake name. Write it down. Give them the fake address or whatever. Or even just give it legs. Don't produce a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> How's this ever going to end name? well? <laughs> it's double-barreled. <laughs> As they are driving along, the officer seated in the back notices that for a split second, Nielsen has eased his direction of the gun and it is no longer pointing directly at the policeman in the front seat. Taking his opportunity, the back seat officer lunges at Nielsen and the gun and a fight breaks out in the car. That's brave. It is brave. And he thought that's a real gun, I'm not going to fuck around with the trigger. The gun is fired into the roof of the vehicle and the car comes to an abrupt stop outside a fish and chip shop in Rainworth. Very British, isn't it? Fish and chip shop in Rainworth. A couple of customers who are sat outside the chippy enjoying the battered haddock. <laughs> it's just the next line uh, is even better. A couple of customers who are sat outside the chippy enjoying their battered haddocks notice the kerfuffle and rush to join in. The four men battle against Nielsen for some time and they eventually manage to overpower him and get him into handcuffs. I believe they handcuffed him along to a, a, a kind of fence. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they roughed him up a little bit. They did, yeah. This is where that very famous mugshot of him mm. all battered and bruised comes from. He's taken to a nearby police station where he provides a false name in order to stall the officers further. Eventually, he surrenders, realising the game is up and there's no way out for him. He gives them his real name and address, Bradford, West Yorkshire, which upon searching, the police discover who they are dealing with. Mm. There's a lot of similarities between the Yorkshire Ripper case and the police Definitely. bumbling away and having opportunities, not looking at things properly, and communication between other police forces not really, yeah, learning from the mistakes. Definitely. And we draw another kind of um, comparison to the Richard Ramirez capture, except from this is a very British version of that rather than downtown LA being yeah. chased. Just had a shot, Rainworth. Kerfuffle. Yeah. Big scuffle, kerfuffle. But yeah, I mean, everyone wanted a piece of him, essentially, and uh, they definitely gave Hold my mushy peas. <laughs> so upon investigation of Nielsen's house, it reveals that it contains a mountain of undeniable evidence, such as a range of weapons army accessories, the same type of wire that was found around Leslie Whittle's neck, and even a model of a Black Panther. Oh wow, he's really living up to his own hype. After hours of questioning, the Black Panther finally cracks and admits to the abduction of Leslie Whittle, yet he remains adamant that he did not kill her 
nor was it ever his intention to kill any of the unlucky postmasters that got in his way during those fateful sub-post office raids. Uh, A quote from Donald regarding uh, the abduction of Leslie Whittle, the money, the ransom, was not the most important issue. Freedom at the end of the plan was the most important issue. He's again gone back to trying to raid post offices after it's revealed that Leslie had, had died. He's wanting freedom. His ultimate end goal is freedom, and I mean, probably by that he means financial freedom. But yeah, he's confessed, um, they've found undeniable evidence in his home, and he's cracked and finally admitted to it. But again, he's adamant he didn't push her off the ledge, she fell, it was an accident. His plan was to, to return her for the ransom. Donald Nielsen is effectively charged with four counts of murder along with numerous other offences relating to his career of crime. In March of 1976, Nielsen adds a fifth murder victim to his tally as Gerald Smith, the security guard from the failed raid back in March 1975, dies from his sustained gunshot wounds. So that was the one where he abandoned his car. Unfortunately, Nielsen is not charged with Smith's death due to a flaw in the law that stood at the time, which stated that a murder charge could not be brought against a victim who dies more than a year and a day later after the incident. This law has since been changed. June 14th, 1976, the trial of Donald Nielsen begins at Oxford Crown Court and it immediately becomes a public spectacle. Accuse of people desperate to enter the courtroom and witness the Black Panther on trial. July 1st, 1976, Donald Nielsen is unanimously convicted for the cold-blooded killings of Donald Skepper, Derek Astin, Sidney Grayland and Leslie Whittle. Likewise, he is also convicted for his attack on Mrs Grayland, which left her hospitalised with a fractured skull, along with other crimes such as kidnapping and blackmail. He is sentenced to life in prison. The case makes headline news and Nielsen's photograph is featured on every national newspaper the following day, propelling him into notoriety. Which... I don't think necessarily was ever an appeal for him. When you said the bit about they have a Black Panther model. That's a little brag to himself, isn't it? Yeah, but then even him teasing the police. and I'm not sure he wanted to be... Yeah, he, demanded, he demanded respect, which he didn't get as a kid, didn't get in the army. He, people feared him. Maybe he enjoyed the power of it. Power, control, money. He probably got a kick from saying he's the Black Panther. I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's proven all the people that ever belittled him over his time. I was the guy that was most wanted in the UK. I evaded capture for this long. Mm-hmm, that's true, yeah. It would all be horrible, though. He gets to prison. I am the Black Panther. No, you're not nappy. <laughs> He'd be livid, wouldn't he? At the age of 75, he's diagnosed with the irreversible muscle wasting condition, motor neuron disease. This is this disease. It affects the brains and the nerves, and it causes weakness that gets worse over time. He lost the use of his arms and legs and required feeding at the hand of someone else. So ironically, it's like being held hostage in his own body. So yeah, it's, it's quite fitting for him to get such a horrible disease. Nielsen lives out the remaining days of his life in prison. With one attempted appeal to reduce his sentence in 2008... The appeal fails and Nielsen does not appeal again before his death in 2011 when he is taken to the hospital on the eve of December 17th with breathing difficulties and pronounced dead the following day. During the courtroom section, he he apparently got agitated because he was getting kind of belittling there and he actually said kind of would speak out against it. In doing that, would incriminate himself further and basically give evidence against himself because he was too proud of what he'd done and thought that people were say, kind of claiming he was bumbling and stupid. And he was like, no, it's very thought out actually. I did all these things. Yeah. So he kind of... Um, made his own rod for his back there. Well, what probably would have irritated him further is that his own defence counsel, Gilbert Gray, who's a very interesting character, referred to uh, Nielsen as a little man with big ideas. That's the mark of Donald Nielsen. Yeah, that is. A little man with big ideas. (laughs) 
So we're going to go on to some details about the aftermath now, points of interest, uh, before we go on to the lookalikes. So Donald's wife, Irene, who we haven't really spoken much about, she's also implicated in her husband's crimes and is sentenced to 12 months in prison after she knowingly cashed in stolen postal checks, which she brought home from his multiple sub-post office raids. So yeah, she... Mm. I mean, is she aware of the murders? I mean, it's wrong either way what she's done. I'm sure if the newspaper came up with some people, another person's been killed in a sub-post office. Wow. Mad. It's reported that upon learning of her husband's arrest in Mansfield, she rushed to burn a number of postal checks, leaving charred remains in the fireplace, which would discover the police on the searching of the Nielsen property. Her attorney argued that Irene Nielsen was under immense pressure to fall in line for a monster of her husband and was kept in a highly stressful and unpredictable living circumstance. Irene eventually serves just eight months of a 12-month sentence and was released early due to good behaviour. It's like a lot, in a lot of cases, isn't it? Because she, you can't really guess or how she was feeling if she is mm-hmm. you know it, sound, it sounds like he obviously quite an intimidating guy did, did he f- like verbally threaten her if she didn't follow through with this was she thinking or was she just like oh this is the way we make money and we sold me all these big dreams of us being able to retire and all this stuff so i don't, I don't really know it's, it's a tricky one there then i wonder was he just making her aware of the uh, the post office raids or was she aware of the leslie whittle plan because mm. if she was in on that and he referenced those particular financial figures yeah Plus, he had all that evidence in the house that he shared with her. Mm. So what, what's that model all about, Black Panther? I just like it, Irene. It brings the room together. In 1977, a film called The Black Panther was released. It was mostly filmed at the authentic scenes of the crimes and caused absolute uproar due to the close proximity of the film's release and the sentencing of Donald Nielsen. Many local authorities banned the picture from being shown in cinemas. Yeah, not even a year after his his capture. Mm. They have jumped on that. A Channel 5 documentary named The Abduction of Leslie Whittle recently aired in December of 2021. And it is still available to watch on the My5 streaming service. Yeah, so why not go there if you want to find any more? I've got a bit of light relief because um, I was very fixated on his on his size. Create a little game for us to play. It's called Taller or Shorter. So Donald was five foot six. Um, so, for example, Ben, if I said to you, uh, Ed Kemper, taller or shorter, you'd say taller. Yes, he was six foot nine. So I'm going to put people up against Donald here. I've only got a few here. So feel free to play at home. If you're on a bus, do let us know uh, how well you do here. So Ted Bundy, taller or shorter? Taller. Yes, five foot ten. Oh, he's taller than I expected. I thought he was going to be a taller, but marginally. Ed Gain, taller or shorter? Shorter. Five foot seven. Just a little bit short, uh, taller than, than five foot oh, six. Bugger. Peter Sutcliffe. I'm going to kick myself. I'm going to say taller. You're right. Oh. Five foot eight inches. Charles Manson. Shorter. Five foot two. Five I'd, foot two? Yeah, I did not realise he was five foot two. Wow. But five six, because he's quite broad, Don Nelson, quite muscular, I think. Yeah. But five six, like, it's so jarring, because the idea of him all dressed in black, gun, obviously that's terrifying. Yeah. But it's a little short, stocky, I don't know. What, are you thinking you're being raided by children? No. Oh, Sorry. Nothing wrong uh, if you are 5'6", by the way. No, no, not uh, at all. Uh, but it's just the most England's most wanted man. A fascinating case. He also, as well, in the... They call it the lair of the panther, all this evidence they found in his house. They mm. also found hunting darts, mm. scuba flippers, masks, gas masks. I don't know what he was prepping for. The end of days. Could well have been. The end of days. Now, Ben, it's that time, a time of the pod where we both think each other's ideas are great. It's yeah. time for lookalikes. Play that jingle. What does it look like? That looks like a bit like that. Yeah, it looks a bit like it. Do you want to go first? 
Oh, how have he, you gone? How, do you think you've done well here? Uh, I've got two. Guy, I'm happy with one of them. Mm-hmm. I've got f- four in total. I'm happy with one of them. I'm okay. really happy with one of them. I've got. I, I bet we've done the same again. Go on. Okay. So uh, my first one is the typical uh, kind of the typical Donald Nielsen mugshot. I can pop a photo up, but it's that mugshot. One of the only adult pictures of um, Donald Nielsen. He looks a lot like the fantastic actor Michael Shannon, who I know from uh, Boardwalk Empire as Nelson Van Elden. <laughs> Just think they've kind of got the face. There are probably better photos there I could use of Michael Shannon. Uh, no. No, okay. no, no, not, not my best. Not that's best. not the one I'm happy with. Okay, the, ne- good. the next one is the one I'm really happy with. Okay, I'm excited for this. I have a best the same as mine. Go on. A young Donald Nielsen on his wedding day looks exactly like Leandro Trossard, who plays for Brighton. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, that is good. You get two up the, the one I'm now. the one that I'm not very happy with at all. But I thought I'd throw it in because producer Dan might like this one, and he's friends with one of the cast. He's in with one of the cast. I also wanted to try and use this guy for the the White House Farm episode, but it was a push, and I had loads of other ones for that one. Tony from Men Behaving Badly, and I've gone with the beaten up mugshot. That is terrible. That's my worst I'm tr- one. I'm trying to link it. Or Neil Morrissey. Oh, okay. Oh, Neil. Yeah, Neil yeah, Morrissey. Neil yeah, Morrissey. Yeah, that's his name. Tony. Bob the Builder yeah no I can't see it okay fair enough and then finally the one that I was adding as we uh, just got here kind of hit me on the um, on the drive over Remy Malik from his army days that's up there Trossard will be my my main pick I think yeah I think he's in a lot of people's picks for FPL Um, who have you got for me then I think yeah pretty mixed bag from me this week and I apologise for that mine is um, Don Parker from Gogglebox uh, maybe a young version of him. Do you reckon is that way off? Maybe, maybe. I, I yeah. don't know. For some reason, that really there are stuck no, out. Um, there are no old photos of, of Neil, an old Nielsen, are there? And I've also got a young David Jason. Delboy. Yeah, that that wins it for me. Even the shadowing on that is great. Yeah. And they went down very different paths, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, in the that's episode. why I thought, I thought that's why you were saying it because you had looking like you no. had it. And you were foreshadowing Ben. Like, you know, no. I know you like, like the foreshadow. Word, yeah. But yes, no, that is the case of Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther. Lots to unpick there. A career criminal gone for the big the big win and yeah, fallen Lost short. Lost it all. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. If you can't wait until next week, which is another big, big case. We it's have just seven got, days. Just wait. Just seven days. Yeah, don't worry about anything else. But if you can't wait, because yeah. some people get impatient, they need everything they want, you know, here and now. Mm. Uh, we have got a Patreon page and we've got almost 80 episodes live there at the moment. Special Ooh. episodes. We do requests on there as well case requests and it's just one pound a week you get an episode every week so it's, it's a pretty good deal and don't forget to follow us on our socials we've got tiktok we've got insta we've got facebook we've got twitter that's just such a good matter of product they'll, they'll all they'll spring up there and and if you're thinking that skeleton behind ben looks good i'm not talking about producer dan i'm talking about jacob and he's wearing some merchandise i see him at <laughs> icmap.store the mug that Ben just showed there isn't available on the store that's our own kind of ones we've got lots of merchandise over there so why not have a little peruse of that and uh, if you listen to us on audio it's very much appreciated if you could leave us a review it really does help kind of push us out there for more people to find us yeah and why not tell a friend or family member about us that also helps massively people tend to recommend us when they want to recommend us you know you don't recommend something that's shit do you recommendations usually people trust you yeah yeah so Keep recommending us, guys. I don't know what that point was. That was not. You run out. You run out of steam. We'll get you some lunch, Ben. Okay. Okay. It'll be fine. Anyway, guys, like we always say, we say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, 
unless it's uh, venturing into filling your nappy with filling your nappy with ten. Drop drop ten for me. Postal checks. Um, yeah, custom built sheds, but that's not a bad idea. You can do it's that. not actually a bad idea at all. Let's go taxis. All those ideas are fine. It's just he's yeah. successful. Anyway, yeah. underwater drumming. Anyway, guys, tool pit. Ranging from stealing fring... <laughs> you didn't write the frings, though. No, I know. That's the weird... Ranging from... Ranging from stealing fring... <laughs> Fuck me. Thing. Ranging from stealing... <clears throat> Why is this... Things. Thank you. <laughs> Not things. Frings. You have been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast. Written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound. Edited by Ben Bonsey. Additional research and timelines by Lauren McKenna-Parker. Additional voiceover by Lucy Ackhurst. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. And theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple Music and Spotify. For additional exclusive content, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash pod. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.